Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Happy New Year, Tyler. It is 2021, and our first show of the year, man, I'm telling you, like everybody else in America, we're probably looking forward to 2021 this year. I know I am. Yeah, well, Happy New Year to you, too. I I really, (laughs) this is going to be a crazy one. The bar was kind of set there uh, this past year. Uh, yeah, so it was a hell of a year, as everybody knows. It was, uh, it was, and uh, kind of set my expectations as to what a year could even be. <laughs> I don't even think I had this in my uh, wildest imagination that this type of thing could have existed. But no, I'm looking forward to this show with you, Peter, because uh, we're going to get to talk about 2020 a little bit in retrospection. Yeah, a little bit look back, looking back, feeling how we feel. We feel good now in 2021. We've stepped through the threshold. Yeah, I guess so. We've yeah, passed through. Remains to be seen, but uh, yeah, I think no. There's absolutely a sense of we made it to well, the at end. At least the threshold of yeah. of the new year. Yes, indeed. So here we are, and uh, we really do have a nice little show uh, planned for you. It's going to be a fun one. Yeah, we're going to talk about big events of the year uh, as it relates to the coast of America. Uh, we're going to talk about what we did on ASPN and Coastal News Today in 2020, kind of take a look back at how that year went, and uh, maybe maybe talk a little bit about what we hope to do in 2021, and uh, you know, take a tour. Yeah. So uh, it's going to be a good one, ladies and gentlemen, but first let's have a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by... LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at LJA.com. Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants offers high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, and the skilled and respectful crews to get your project built. Make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring the dune and wetland ecology of your home or barrier island. Learn more at coastaltransplants.com. Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at dunesciencegroup.com. And be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at CoastalNewsToday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at Chloe at CoastalNewsToday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at CoastalNewsToday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. Well, Peter, I think... The obvious place to start when looking back is the COVID-19 pandemic yeah. that swept across uh, planet Earth. Uh, well, we happened to be living on it. Yeah, it really uh, did. And it changed our lives dramatically. It changed the American shoreline and shoreline and coastal communities around the world, in fact, yeah. dramatically in ways that we never saw coming. No, and I, of course, everybody's aware and talked about it but we do want to sort of what did it mean for the for coastal 
communities around the world and around the United States. And uh, like you're saying, it it was dramatic. And it, and because it, I'll tell you, uh, let's start with just the tourism impact as the country came not to a halt, but really slowed down. Uh, coastal communities around the American shoreline are dependent on tourism, and that meant a big shift in visitors uh, and thus tax revenues for local governments. It changed the economics of coastal communities substantially, uh, and those impacts are still reverberating right now, and we'll see as the the spring unfolds, you know, how that changes going into 2021. But um, up and down the American shoreline, lots of impacts from COVID, a um, lot of policy discussions, big fights. You know, we did that series with Ocean, uh, with beach managers in L.A. and and New Jersey and in Texas talking about how they had to adjust whether they would shut the beaches down, that kind of thing. I mean, it was a big, it was a tough year to be a beach manager in America, given COVID or any, actually any place in the world. It was difficult. Right. I mean, we like to say that everything is connected on the coast. It's one of the reasons why we like this de-siloed approach. And oftentimes we're like, strug we're not struggling, but we ha we are yeah. seeking out the interconnections between, oh, I don't know, coastal engineering and, and fisheries and how these things interplay with each other. Mm -hmm. But with COVID, there's just no, it, it, it touched literally every human being on the planet, I would, I would have to say, certainly on the American shoreline, but it impacted everything. It impacted fisheries. It impacted these local communities, the the governments of these communities, that locate, local governments, state governments, federal governments, all of which are doing things that they never, ever normally do. Yeah. Um, and the beach was a battleground, too, in COVID. It was a place where, I mean, we watched this happen kind of firsthand during the lockdown. The beach kind of became the what's that the Maginot line <laughs> you know it became it was emblematic of the of the tensions I think over tourism and what people should or shouldn't do uh, a lot of that played out on beaches around the country and still are today I mean uh, there's still a lot of controversy about whether you can or should I think one of the protests in in Southern California this past week to kick off the new year was a group of people uh, congregating on the beach and saying we're tired of the shutdown orders in Southern California and they did that rally on the beach uh, it's a place where we all gather and where the public comes together so uh, it's not surprising that the beach closure and beach restrictions issues around the country were uh, front and center uh, in in the press and certainly on coastal news today and certainly for people who recreate and use those spaces it was a the beach is just you know except for when there's a big storm or something it's just this it symbolizes freedom it symbolizes yeah a place to go and connect and ground yourself so many so millions and millions and millions of people go to coastlines all around the world to connect to to rehabilitate their souls you know yeah. to Consider to, to heal themselves space. exactly and yeah. and to have that be reversed and almost be a place where you could kill yourself get sick um hurt your family hurt your loved ones that was really a shock 
just culturally to what it to what the beach meant. Yeah. And yes, to this day, people are protesting on the beaches. I mean, there's still this this yeah. rift going on. But well, yeah, over the summer, you know, I talked to Joe Mancini, the mayor of uh, Long uh, Long Beach, New Jersey, uh, a, a couple of times about what happened in his town. And as you remember, uh, they were really trying to ratchet down the beach visitorship. They have an elderly population, about 66,000 uh, permanent residents there, about 75% of them elderly or older Americans, and uh, they really tried to dial it back. But uh, coming out of New York City were lots of people coming down to Long Beach, New Jersey to to get houses and get out of the city in the pandemic and the the, the early out, uh, outbreak of the pandemic in New York City. And so you had this tension, the local government trying to fight to keep restrictions in place. Over the course of the summer, they were unable to do that uh, and large visitorship numbers coming into the city. So it was it was it, it just really focused, as you're saying, this uh, tension between what we think the beach is a place of recreation and leisure and health and well-being into a politically charged, very difficult, complex regulatory issue with a lot of economic implications. It was it was interesting to watch. And it was the number one story on Coastal News Today uh, this year was about beach closures. That's right. Uh, you know, it's interesting when hearing you talk about that. I'm reminded of the fact that this is obviously an unprecedented experience to watch the beaches around the American. But, you know, it, local, local beach town politics are intense in a normal year yes, very much and when you add the specter i mean we're talking about uh debates over mm-hmm. uh how the economy should be shaped do do we lean more into tourism do we lean more into other yeah. Yeah. Uh, economic activities uh they're heated in coastal communities all over the american shoreline. we cover them we we find that stuff to be fascinating beach access issues and yeah and public access projects and things yeah. like that. Um, this kicked it up to a whole nother level. New level, big fights over Airbnb and VRBO rentals around the country, uh, attempted restrictions to uh, reserve the beach to local residents. That was attempted in many communities with backlash uh, from the business community. Uh, so tourism was one big sector. The ports and waterways and shipping industry was substantially impacted by COVID. International trade disruptions between China and the and uh, the uh, major ports on the Pacific, say down in in LA, uh, they, and backups of of products and declines in shipping and all kinds of disruptions, which seem to be working out right now. But the the ports and shipping industry was substantially affected because international trade between Asia and the United States was impacted. And uh, we saw the economic fallout of that. Um, You know, so not just tourism, not just tourism uh, in the uh, energy sector, offshore oil platform crews had to be evacuated there were outbreaks on these platforms that needed to then be crewed they had to figure out how to swap out a crew clean the place yeah and bring in a new crew everywhere else yeah i mean so truly uh, a universal uh 
uh, event here uh, for all of us. And it, it, it did. It rippled through every single sector that well, we look at. It does. And I'll just mention that uh, in putting together the Coastal News today, uh, for today, uh, there was a story out of, uh, you know, of course, it's summer down in Australia. But a couple of kite surfers were arrested on the beach uh, in Australia because they're trying to limit activity on the coast. And there were surfers arrested in California. There are attempts to sort of limit access to the coast, puts local officials in a tough spot and uh, law enforcement people in a tough spot. But I think that we're going to continue uh, to see those kinds of tensions in the early part of 21 uh, until this pandemic comes under a little bit better control no question yeah. and uh yeah i guess my final thought here on covid in addition to it being just you know an event unlike anything i've ever experienced in my lifetime and you know a, a, just a historic event no questions asked but that it it really seemed to two things actually the first is that it seemed to uh be, to me to be re, to resemble to rhyme with climate change in many respects the way that people handled it the denial of it the the yeah. existence of it or that it's not bad um that that stood out as being interesting to me and i want to get your comment on that and yeah. in addition to that it seems like because we did shut down a little bit you know we slowed things down and people went home for a f even I'm going back to March and April now um, it seemed like people became a little bit more connected with their local environment and were spending more time outside more time watching the birds in the yard and um, it, it seemed like a, a consequential yeah uh, event with regard to climate change what are your thoughts on that well I, I just quickly on this notion of some of the benefits of the slowdown uh, throughout the year reporting on the decline in tourism and at particularly vulnerable uh, beaches in Hawaii and in the South Pacific or the city of Venice that saw a massive slowdown in traffic of cruise ships and the environmental benefits that occurred. This is, but it was documented all around the world really in the level of tourism usage of sensitive areas declined and they saw the recovery of the waterways in Venice. They saw bays and estuaries around the world get better. Um, we know that the, sh the decline in ship traffic benefited uh, scientific research on whales and other species because the acoustics changed and they were able to collect data that they haven't been able to collect. So the decline actually had some benefits, and I think there have been some very interesting stories reported about, you're right, about how people, because uh, recreation and outdoor recreation tends to be safer, uh, that people connected with nature in a different way in 2020, uh, in a positive way. So some of the COVID spinoff is, you could put in the positive category. Um, but with respect to the parallel between how the Americans particularly responded to COVID, how we are contending with climate change. And I would also put into this parallel uh, comparison here, uh, the election results. And here's kind of my observation a little bit, is when we're faced with significant events that have big implications, 
climate change has big implications. Admitting the existence of climate change cascades into a series of of questions and potential policy changes. Uh, we tend to freeze a little bit. Uh, COVID. There was a there's a significant number of Americans who are struggling with the idea that COVID is a serious issue to this day, even though we have over 330,000 uh, Americans who've been uh, been killed by this virus. Uh, and I think it's because the implication of dealing with it requires us to contend with restrictions on what we do and how we want to live. And we tend to freeze and get paralyzed and refuse to do it. And I would say, for example, on the election, that there is a there is a willingness to to avoid the truth, uh, and it doesn't work. I'll just say this: avoiding the truth of climate change is not going to be any more successful than avoiding the truth of what COVID as a virus means. Uh, you have to face things squarely. These are real. F- these two things are physical events on the planet, like hurricanes. They. COVID is a, is a, is a, natural, a natural event. It's a natural event. It is a, it is a virus that spreads easily and has a certain lethality, and uh, it's going to kill a bunch of people, and either you contend with that or you decide to just blow it off. Climate change is like that. It's, it's beyond political persuasion. The existence of these events is not persuadable. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions are changing the composition of the atmosphere and changing the changing how energy moves around the planet and having an effect on the climate. That's a physical fact. And either you can admit it and deal with it or or not. And I have to say there's a disturbing willingness in the American population to avoid hard truths and accept the challenges that are presented to us. And I hope we'll get better at that in 2021. Me too. I don't know if that's... I, I'm As you know, I'm optimistic. And to me, it has so much to do with leadership and just talking things out. That's why we do what we do. Yeah. But I think that you it's it can be you got to kind of work it out and it's uncomfortable. These are new things. But I'll tell you, to me, the pandemic and climate change are of the same thing. There's a similarity. There's a we are on one. They're global. These are global situations. Correct. That involve all people. Yeah. And it involves our modern existence. Of course, there were pandemics prior to industrialization and air traffic and stuff like that. Uh, there are natural phenomena, but and, as there were hurricanes before climate sure. change. But when you uh, travel the way we travel and you uh, burn the fuel the way we burn the fuel, our relationship with these natural events is going to change. There's consequences to that. Yeah. So in many respects, I think that this COVID experience is a learning experience for people. I hope. I th- it's, it's, and that the denial problem is actually, I think, maybe the most important thing. I mean, this it's 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 a tale as old as time that when you get uh, really, 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 as you put it, uh, uh, you know, critical I, I forget the word you used spe- specifically but the ramifications of yeah, recognizing the implications the implications are hard to stomach and one of the ways that people uh manage psychologically yeah. is to ignore yeah. and deny sidestep it sidestep it bury your head in the sand it's it's um, more comfortable that way it's it's a way to avoid the anxiety it's a, it's a way to avoid the idea that we can is it really possible that we human beings are changing the planet in a significant way that's detrimental a lot of people have a struggle with that and i'll tell you this past week 
a perfect illustration of this. I want to give a shout out to Brian Urisitz and the, the host of the Shaped by this the Sea. This is a great show. It was the Shaped by the Sea podcast that came out. He sat down with his parents in, uh, it's in Brooklyn, right? It's in... Uh, is he in Brooklyn? No, I think he's in Queens. In Queens uh, with his parents who, uh, who are... Uh, uh, or Long Island. New York. Yeah. Let's go with New He's York. New I don't York know what City. borough he was in, but uh, it's a really interesting discussion between Brian, who uh, works in environmental advocacy on coastal issues, and his parents, who are both supporters of uh, the current president, President Trump. And the discussion is about climate change. And his father, I really found this an interesting conversation. And I really was, as I listened to him talk to his parents about climate change, I was thinking, man, I wish I was sitting at the table. Uh, it was a very positive conversation. They've obviously spent time on it as a family. But his father was just unwilling to label it. He said, look, there's okay, there's there's bad, there's pollution. There's things that we're doing to the environment that are good, but I'm not change. climbing it. Climate, I don't believe that it's climate change. And and I, it, it just it, it seemed to me that the idea of labeling it as climate change, accepting the fact that there are enough of us on the planet there are 7.8, I believe, billion people on the planet. It ticks up, of course, every day. Uh, there are enough of us to, to, to make a difference in what happens in the atmosphere. Uh, and so, but he was struggling with it, admitting it. He, he's not anti-environmental. He made sure to made clear that he wasn't, uh, that he believes that we should do the right thing. But boy, this whole idea of calling it climate change is not a pathway he's willing to go down. And Part of that, it seemed to me, was if you label it that way, what it's going to mean for the American economy. And here's the comment. I'm, I'm really interested in talking to Brian about this sometime. Um, his father seemed to think that acknowledging climate change would be detrimental to the American economy and American business because we would take actions and China wouldn't and India wouldn't and it wouldn't make the situation any better. This guy was a real estate person who worked on Wall Street. He is used to understanding risk and investment and opportunity. And it surprised me that he didn't look at climate change as a business opportunity to say the United States could be the leading developer of technology around the world. The economic potential of responding to climate change is massive. We're one of the most technologically advanced countries in the world. We have the opportunity to get serious about this as a business development opportunity. And I think he's missing that. He's seeing it as, joy. this is just a downside. And uh, I do think that's true. And I think you see it in BP and you see it in Shell Oil and you see it in the investments going into wind power and alternative energy that are looking at the electricity production sector of the economy and the massive opportunities there are to develop new technologies and to and to own those new businesses as American companies. That's what I think people, one of the implications is, hey, problems are opportunity. And I think a lot of people who are denying climate change are not seeing that way. They're missing it. I'm glad you brought up that uh, conversation that Brian had with his parents. Yeah. I, I really- It was great. I really enjoyed that show. One of the things that I took away from that uh, and I, I, I find your point a, a good one about the opportunity, economic opportunity, as opposed to framing it through the, the realm of economic hardship or loss that's going to be taken away yeah. through regulation or whatever. Yeah. But but what I found so interesting is like, you know, I don't really need the label guy. Like I, 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 
I he he understands fisheries conservation. He understands that there's so many fish in the sea that there's a finite. Brian's father, Jared, is his name. Jared, uh, yeah, uh, Gerard, I think. Gerard, I, yeah, okay, I think. Gerard, I'm, yeah. <clears throat> anyway, Queens, uh, by the way, Queens. That's yeah. right. So, yeah. uh, but I think that there is a because we we are tribalized and these things are. Let's be real. This has been political for a very. It shouldn't have been. We did this. The, our society's yeah. way of doing this was to make it a political thing instead of a reality thing. And let's all and then we can we can have yeah. a political discussion about the the means and methods of managing the reality. Right. But instead, we we went political on what the reality even is. That's a good point. And that's the, true with COVID as well. And that's something that we're going to need to straighten out if we're going if we hope to understand climate change. And that's why I really like that discussion because actually yeah, what yeah. you realize is that there's a hell of a lot of agreement between these, between Brian's parents who, as you say, uh, supported Trump. You know, I did really enjoy the dynamic between Brian's yeah. mother, Lauren, Lauren, his father and yeah, him and, and the yeah. way that the, the conversation advanced and you know, I think I mean I'm not saying that they solved the problem but they got somewhere they no, did something it was, it was a, productive it was a very positive conversation and it's also a window into how this it, what I appreciated about Brian I want to say thank you to Brian and to his father Gerard and his mother Lauren for uh for doing that show because it's 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 sort of a a peek into what does it sound like what does the conversation around climate change sound like in America today and this is a generational conversation between parents and a son uh, and you get an insight into how this issue has been digested and is being thought about and it gives you a sense of what we are going to face as we try to move forward with uh, with actions to respond to climate change there's a lot of boy inertia that's going to have to be overcome a lot of energy that says it's just not worth it and it's a bad thing for america and uh if i could say anything to 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 brian's father i'd just say listen that uh, think of it as a real estate investment opportunity when you, you you know you're you're a wall street guy uh looking at risk looking at change looking at opportunity is something you're trained to do if you can set the ideology aside a little bit and see this as an economic opportunity for the United States, I don't think there's any doubt it's true. Uh, and major investment money, there's a whole, there's a bunch of non-deniers out, deniers out there who have substantial revenue who are putting money into the new businesses that are going to change the world, and they're going to get rich as hell doing it. And uh, I think that energy the good old American capitalist uh, energy will have an impact on the political debate and already has. Yeah. And the question is, can we make the pathway for those folks who are currently invested in yeah. uh, businesses that are not carbon neutral, that are, can we shift them over into this right. new opportunity? And that is the challenge before us. Yeah. I want to, uh, so, We've, we've done a, a, a big discussion here on COVID and climate change. I think it's worthy of the time. Uh, but that's not the only big thing that happened in 2020. Uh, the hurricane season yeah. was historic. It was. Uh, I think this is another story that anyone who's a coastal citizen around the United States, certainly in the uh, Gulf and the Atlantic side of our great country, uh, suffered through and is well aware of but it was a historic season 30 
named storms in 2020 the most ever, 13 of which were hurricanes, the second most number of hurricanes ever in a season, uh, 12 storms of hurricanes, that's 12 named storms made landfall in the United States, six of them major uh, hurricanes, which is category three or higher. Um, and the second time we had to go into the Greek alphabet ever, uh, getting to Iota, because the, the 21 names that they have at the beginning of the hurricane seasons the, that they use uh, every year, uh, 21 of those, uh, ran out, of course. And so we had nine storms named after Greek alphabets. Uh, and, you know, here's the other thing. Poor Louisiana. Five hurricanes hit Louisiana in 2020. Devastating year for the state. Uh, not the most uh, expensive storm season ever. There were a couple. It's the third highest in terms of damage, but uh, it's hard to beat Katrina and Rita and Harvey. Those storms were, were massive and hit major metropolitan areas. This was, we, we, we sort of avoided that kind we of We lucked damage. out. We, yeah. <laughs> Even as bad as it was, we got lucky in 2020 yeah. with the second uh biggest hurricane season in history yeah in terms of landfall yeah uh that in that is uh i guess something to be thankful for here rolling the dice rolling the dice like roulette but man these storms were we were in the middle of covid it was there's a lot going on in the news it's not again it was not a normal year but if you were paying attention to these storms the way we do you we saw Storms intensifying extremely right. quickly at sea. Yeah. I mean, these were intense yes. uh, hurricanes this year. Set a record for what are called rapid intensification storms. There were nine. This, these are storms that increase in wind speed of more than 35 knots in a 24-hour period. There were a couple of storms that, that increased by seven, more than 70 knots in a 24-hour period. But rapid intensification... And this is one of the things that the National Hurricane Center is really working on trying to get better at predicting. I have to say that the National Hurricane Center and NOAA uh, really did a great job in tracking storms. Their storm track predictions have got, become really reliably solid. Uh, for those of us who follow that and look at what they do, we all understand the cone of uncertainty and the variability in the tracks and things, but they did damn good. The, the thing they're Amazing. struggling with now is is the intensification speed. They don't quite know how to predict that. Uh, so I think there's a, some really, really interesting work going on at the National Hurricane Center to get a better handle on it. They're deploying uh, all kinds of robotic autonomous vehicles in the ocean to measure sea surface temperature more clearly. How deep is the temperature? They do have, of course, satellite sea surface temperature uh, data, but how deep into the water does it go? And after the storm passes over, how much heat remains in the water? There's a whole bunch of really fascinating science going on now that's all related, I think, in some way to this intensification issue that they're going to have to get a handle on. But a hell of a year. And, uh, you know, it's one of the it's one of the things that I think if we continue to see this kind of activity uh, will continue to be, uh, affect the real estate industry and the economy of the American shoreline. We're going to start to see more and more of and, that. And we are going to. And I think the hurricane season uh, will forever be a barometer, pardon the pun, on the state of climate change, even though it's not a perfect measurement because there's right. a lot of 
variability in what a season is and why and we're and it's hard to understand but the fact is we're looking at the atmosphere and we're looking at the currents and the temperatures of the the ocean and how they interplay and understanding and 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 they result in these like nuclear bomb level events that are the most powerful events i i dare say i mean maybe volcanoes uh, well Um, yeah strongest atmospheric events uh, no question yeah in terms of total energy no no doubt about it hurricanes and cyclones in the pacific yeah so these are uh features of the american shoreline and this is a storyline on the american shoreline that we will continue to yeah. Keep a weather eye on. We spend ahead. we spend billions on it. I think the disaster supplemental spending uh, as a result of hurricanes on the coast is well past $15 billion in 2020. Uh, so it's a very expensive process. It has a lot to do with the National Flood Insurance Program and the capacity of FEMA and what it means for American taxpayers. So, uh, you know, this is one of the things I like about Coastal News Today and ASPN is to really look at these issues from a multi-dimensional perspective, and and the hurricane season is a big deal. Uh, it's going to it as the level of intensity, if it stays high, I think we'll begin to see more and more implications for coastal development and economics along the shoreline because uh, we're seeing that in sea level rise already, uh, and we're seeing it with storm-related. Uh, damages as well. Um, I will note for the record, though, there was an interesting story about Mexico Beach, which was destroyed by a hurricane a couple of years ago. This is in Florida. was absolutely leveled. And the uh, headline... I think that was Maria, right? Um, it was... Oh, God, or geez. Florence. Mm, nope. Um, wow. I don't remember. This is terrible. I don't remember. Um but the implication that the story being reported now is the town is being rebuilt and they're looking forward to the return of tourism and that and and the economy coming back and uh, that's America. You know, we this is one of the problems that uh, people complain about on the American shoreline is why do we keep building in areas that are clearly dangerous and high risk and uh, because we're Americans and in spite of the information, there's money to be made. There's money to be made, and I think uh, we haven't quite cracked that nut. Um, how to change our economic behavior to adjust to storms. But I, I'm sort of a believer in reality is a good teacher. And as the costs get to a certain level, uh, I believe this will begin to change. But uh, so far, uh, we're persistent uh, as Americans. And, you know, you're standing in your front yard. There's no, there's a pile of debris behind you your whole neighborhood is destroyed and they bring the cnn camera in and they put it in some the face of a homeowner and they say so what do you think and they're like we're gonna rebuild (laughs) that's the first thing they say (laughs) and uh we're persistent that way so we'll see what happens with with that well and the second thing they say is and we need help we want your money (laughs) to help us rebuild (laughs) yeah Um, that's right and so there's no question that this is a policy uh, predicament that we have been in forever. I mean, as long yeah. in my whole life, and yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, it would be great to see at least a for the taxpayer out there some way to check the system when uh, f- with regard to yeah. continuing to develop and put more money on the line on the yeah. front line of this of this. Yeah. Of these storms. And it yeah. is, it's billions of dollars each year. It's a lot of money. Yeah. It All is. right. Well, 
moving along to another major uh, development in 2020. Uh, and I'll, I'll say, you know, the past hundred years, Peter, have yeah. been rough for salmon. <laughs> it has. It's true. A lot of dam development. Yeah. Uh, uh, fishing has increased. But uh, loss of habitat, loss of habitat. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But uh, in 2020, there was some good news uh, with the pebble mine uh, being, I guess, shut down. I'm sure it won't be shut down forever and ever and ever. But it seems like this was a major shutdown. Well, the pebble mine in Bristol Bay, Alaska, which is the uh, most productive fishery in the world in terms of the biomass of the fishery, about 35 to 40 million salmon swim back into the Bristol Bay and into the river systems of that uh, great Alaska waterway uh, every year. And the Bristol Bay fishery is an extremely valuable fishery. It's very well managed. uh, And yet, uh, over the last three years, there's been a major attempt to put a a, uh, an open pit copper gold mine variety of minerals that they were after at the headwaters of Bristol Bay called the Pebble Mine. And a uh, big controversy. It was, uh, you know, back in the Obama days, they said the Corps of Engineers and the EPA said, nope, that's really not a good thing. We're not going to approve that. During the Trump administration, that project was revived. And there were real efforts to uh, get it back on track. And it looked like the approval was forthcoming. Uh, the Secretary of Commerce was uh, was engaged with the company leadership. There was some controversy about the uh, kinds of communications that were going on and the influence being applied. And it appeared that the Pebble Mine Project permits would be issued. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, there was a lot of pushback, of course, from the Native American community up there and the commercial fishing industry. Basically everyone, I think. I yeah. Mean, yeah. I, I think. Th- unless you're into gold. Maybe if you're in the, you know, there were, the mining. Well, area. the economic interests and, and the state leadership was at least partly in support of the Pebble Mine moving forward. Surprisingly, Eric Trump weighed in and said it's a it bad Don idea. Jr. Was it Don Jr.? and said it was a bad idea. But at the end of the day, uh, the permit was rejected. And that happened in 2020. Uh, the mining company has since filed an appeal. And uh, we will see what happens. But uh, with the change of administration, it is quite likely that the Bristol Bay fishery dodged a major bullet uh, with the denial of the pebble mine uh in uh, up in Alaska. And Huge. I think that's, you know, I mean, look, these natural systems that can produce 40 million salmon, we try to grow salmon now. We've got aquaculture and you got cages and you got to feed them and you got to get permits and there's all the genetic detriment. And here's the natural system that you don't have to do anything to that will deliver to you 40 million salmon a year and we're going to risk that natural productivity it just makes no sense it, it makes raises no sense it me. raises so many questions and it, it really is something i think to celebrate i think this was the right uh the right side of history for us to be on as far as not doing this mine but you know let's go through the 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 reality which is uh if we're going to talk about moving away from uh fossil fuels and it, we're going to be needing 
uh, resources and they're going to need to be mined somewhere yeah. and there will be th this type of open pit mining I, I was really interested to learn more about it and what what I learned is that the gold and copper and stuff are not it's not like you reach in there and you pull out a, it's a not nugget. A vein. It's not no, a vein. you you what you find is uh, th these are mo molecules who are, that are basically attached to other yeah. elements, other or other rocks and stuff. Yeah. And the way that you separate the gold or the copper from the, these other things is by adding like very strong chemicals, including like arsenic and stuff. Yeah. And yeah. so that's why you have these pits is to hold uh, and so. Then you dissolve that liquid and you can filter that liquid out and you're yeah. left with this toxic liquid and you'd have to hold it in these massive things. And it's literally forever. You have to hold yeah. this liquid forever in a dam. So this, you know, it would be the best dam, I think, in the history of well, they, dams, right? You know, I think they're these mining practices, uh, uh, open pit, large scale copper mines. Of course, you can look at the history in Montana. Uh, of those mines, the, the, the mine overburdened, the toxic uh, slurries that were that remained for, of course, today. We're spending billions of dollars in Montana cleaning up the copper mines from the early uh, 1900s, 1800s, and early 1900s to this day. And uh, you're right, it's a nasty business. But the, uh, the demand for strategic minerals, especially for uh, batteries and electronics, uh, a variety of, of minerals that are that are kind of the rare earth strategic minerals. Uh, and I'm not sure that was coming out of, going to come out of Pebble. Probably part of it would produce those kind of minerals. Uh, but those uh, sources are currently dominated by China uh, with uh, their deposits and in uh, in in the Congo and other parts of Africa that are pretty unstable. Uh, so there is an effort to, to find more strategic minerals to support renewable energy and battery technology and electronics and all of that. And of course that draws in uh, an issue that I've been really focused on, on deep sea mining and whether that source is going to be exploited for these. Uh, but these are the complicated trade-offs, Tyler, of an environmental fishery, a huge economic force and a countervailing economic interest in minerals and whether they're compatible. As of now, the pebble mine is not going to be pursued. Uh, now, quickly, a mention about the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge up in Alaska. The Trump administration has opened that up to sales at the moment. Uh, there have been very few bidders so far taking an interest in the uh, this fire sale that uh, the Trump administration is trying to pull off in the next two weeks. Uh, the state of Alaska is, uh, uh, through its uh, entities, is maybe going to be a purchaser to try to get those rights secured, even though commercially uh, there's not been a tremendous interest because of the uncertainties of what is actually available in the refuge, the environmental complexity. Uh, so... Yes, Anwar is being uh, is leases are being offered for sale in the next couple of weeks under the Trump administration, and we will see if the market uh, responds to that. And so far, the interest has been what I'm reading quite light, which is good. Yeah, I agree. So another anyway, case. It's we got a, plenty of oil. It's an interesting right now. case, uh, right? Uh, it's an interesting case. I'm I'm happy for uh, salmon, as our audience knows 
very well as a keystone species. Well, there's a bunch of them. And yeah, uh, stress. They, uh, if the if if this were to happen and we were to lose that fishery beyond the economic devastation, the environmental devastation in that part of the world, which happens to be, in my opinion, a cherished part of the American shoreline, yeah. would be unforgivable. So I'm really pleased to hear that we are moving beyond that. Final big event that we have, what we want to talk about on this show is the word of bill, Peter. Big, big, big piece of federal legislation. Yep. Lots of spending. Well, you know, for coastal professionals and coastal citizens and coastal states, right, the Water Resources Development Act is the congressional uh, bill through which Congress authorizes uh spending for water resources projects. So this is all of the federally maintained ports and waterways, the Atlantic Intercoastal Waterway, the Gulf Intercoastal Waterway. The Corps. The Corps of Engineers, this is the Corps of Engineers project list as adopted by Congress. So ports and waterways and flood control and Mississippi River, it's a massive bill. This is a true infrastructure beast. It's passed about every four or five years. But the Water Resources Development Act was passed this year. Uh, which is huge news and big news for coastal communities uh, around the country and coastal uh, towns and cities and ports and waterways. Uh, so it was good to see that bill pass. It seems to be quite good. Uh, the, re the response has been very positive in terms of what's in it. Uh, the appropriation process is a separate deal, but there's a plenty of money already loaded into the appropriations process. Uh, as a matter of fact, in the $900 billion uh, COVID response bill. There's quite a bit of money in, uh, built in for uh, projects authorized under WERDA. Um, but I think what, what I'm glad about, Tyler, is, is our good friends Dan Janolfi and Howard Marlowe at the uh, Waterlog podcast on ASPN and uh, Derek Brockbank with Capital Beach have focused great deal of attention on WERDA. So if you're a fan of this particular thing and want to know more about it, you know, on ASPN... Look up the Waterlog podcast with Janolfi and Marlowe. And actually, and look coming out on Wednesday. So uh, This week. So you're going to get a nice big uh, development on that in and just update. a couple days. Well, and speaking of the American Shoreline Podcast Network, of which this show is a part, uh, Tyler, you've done a great job with the network as uh, Thank you. directing the network this year. It's been a huge year on ASPN uh, and a uh, lot of new developments that are worth talking about. No doubt about it. We, uh, first of all, need to acknowledge that we lost uh, a, a very important member of our host family, yeah. the ASPN family this year, Peter, in Dan Martin. Well, in December, you know, listeners on ASPN, Dan Martin produced, I think, 13 uh, episodes of the Next Gen Waterfronts podcast uh, between uh, when he started with us back in 2018 one of our original hosts. One of our original hosts, uh, an economist uh, with uh, the owner and, and, and principal uh, with Market Feasibility Advisors, his company, tremendously intelligent, one of just a brilliant, brilliant person. Uh, Dan died unexpectedly in December, very suddenly. It was not COVID-related for the record, um, absolutely devastating loss just a dear friend 
to Tyler and I, been someone who really helped us develop Coastal News Today and ASPN, was always a close confidant of ours and just loved him. And uh, his loss is tremendous. His show, uh, The Next Gen Waterfront, had some of the best guests ever on the American Shoreline Podcast Network. I mean, very high level, very high value conversations about economics and coastal development, trends. Uh, I'm just going to miss him, and, uh, you know, it's it's just a big loss. No doubt about it. I would echo all of that, and I know that our listeners are going to miss him, too. Uh, by far one of the best interviewers uh, we had, uh, consigliere, uh, <laughs> from the beginning to us as we created this thing. Yeah. Uh, but Dan's curiosity and... Uh, mind he was a quick thinker and uh he we're just really going to miss his his perspective and the way he saw things functioning on the american shoreline was truly uh enlightening and helped really helped us see trends and see patterns and his voice and the voices of his guests who he went out he really did have great guests um we're just an, an incredibly important part of yeah. our programming. And so um, we're really, really, really going to miss all of that and all that Dan brought uh, for us. And yeah. um, so, Dan, we're really going to miss you. Um, but, uh, you know, 2020 was uh, a great year on ASPN. Um, and we want to just take a minute and thank go through our hosts of of the shows. And if yeah. you're new to ASPN, and we do have quite a few new listeners. We do. Um, you might not know that ASPN is a channel with a whole bunch of podcasts on it. This is, this is the American Shoreline podcast, the flagship show, but there's a whole, we have a whole host of other hosts. We do indeed. Who, uh, who have shows of their own. So we're going to kind of go through some of these. Yeah. We want to thank them all because the, the, the network, uh, survives because the hosts put in the kind of time and energy and talent they bring their talent expertise and perspective to the network and to our listeners uh and we just have a tremendous group of people and tyler you've done a hell of a job this year and building new shows into the network but some of our standby shows that are long on the network we want to thank uh, jacques bear and simone malaz with delta dispatches down in new orleans a great show about the efforts to uh, protect, restore uh, the Louisiana coast. They're smart. They're funny. I love their show. It's really interesting. There's, you know, if you're, uh, they always ask their guests about their favorite gumbo recipe or Louisiana food. It's always it's interesting as hell. And they have tremendous guests as well. Uh, the Sea Change podcast, near and dear to my heart, with Jenna Valente, Tyler, someone we recruited at an ASBPA conference in 2018. Uh, she's so insightful and so fabulous. Uh, love Jenna and the Sea Change podcast. She's really great and continues to, to contribute. And as you mentioned, Howard Marlowe and Dan Janoffi with the Waterlog podcast out of Washington, D.C., are inside the Beltway experts. Uh, those guys are great. Yeah, and I would add uh, Brad Warren and Thane Tinson uh, yeah. up in the Pacific Northwest in Portland and Seattle, respectively. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they cover fisheries issues, um, but but really, even beyond that, they're just global thinkers that, that 
really understand the interconnectivity. Thane is a is a real crack lawyer. Yeah. And Brad uh, was the former publisher of National, National Fisherman. Fish- yeah. yeah. So uh, just great voices, and we've got some some uh, Changing Waters episodes coming soon. Yeah, those guys are really great, and their focus is on fisheries-related topics, but they look closely at climate change. They look closely at federal regulations of fisheries. They're uh, they're really just smart guys, and and it's great to have a Pacific Northwest show, not our only one, but uh, love Thane and Brad. Thank them for their work on the network this year. And Derek Brockbank, Tyler, I know someone you're close with in the Capitol Beach podcast. Love Derek. Uh, he, again, original host, uh, focuses on D.C. issues, and um, he's actually going to be changing his yeah. uh, formal position this year, moving uh, from uh, his position as the executive director of the American Shore and Beach Preservation Association to now the executive director. So from executive director to executive director. Yeah. Way to go, Derek. Yeah. Of the Coastal States Organization. Yeah, CSO which is a a really great organization. Of course, we're looking forward to learning more about CSO and continuing to be as involved as we can be uh, with ASBPA. Well, I think he's going to keep the Capitol Beach going. I assume he may keep... Oh, yeah. Is he going to keep the same name as he decided? Oh, yeah. He's keeping the same name. We're going. Well, I think the platform he's going to have with the Coastal States Organization, which is an organization... uh, of the, of course, coastal states of America that have coastal management programs. So uh, it is a broader organization with more complex issues. It's uh, it's a platform, I think, that Derek is going to be fantastic as the executive director. So good job to uh, CSO for picking up Derek. And I'm looking forward to the Capitol Beach and its new incarnation. Uh, Derek's brilliant guy, very well plugged in. So Another one of our D.C. shows. And, uh, Derek, thank you for being on ASPN, and we look forward to your 2021 contributions as well. Indeed. And uh, Leslie Ewing is the host of our uh, Shorewords podcast, which is a literature show. uh, From California. From out in the Bay Area of California. And Leslie Ewing uh, is, again, another person who has uh, supported us. Uh, she's been a trusted, trusted, trusted advisor the entire way through and a host of a show that yeah. happens to be outstanding. Yeah. And uh, we do have some, uh, I, I would say we're in pre-production of some 2021 content there. Good. Coming your way. So that's something to look forward to. Well, you know, we, the the secret behind the scenes is that uh, Coastal News Today and ASPN would not exist without uh, the assistance and guidance of Leslie Ewing. She was uh, a important supporter at a critical point in our uh, in our growth that kept us alive. Uh, so we have our uh, forever indebted to Leslie Ewing. Uh, Leslie is the editor of Shore and Beach Magazine, the ASBPA technical publication. She has been with the California Coastal Commission for, I think, 30 years. She's absolutely brilliant, one of the most experienced and insightful coastal professionals I've ever met. And uh, because she's a state employee, she can't talk about some of the things that uh, she would, anything that she's working on. But the Shore Words podcast is, as Tyler said, a, a show about coastal books and literature, but she really does do a great job with that show. And, uh, 
you know, in the future, if she maybe moves on from her career at the California Coastal Commission, we're looking for maybe a wider aperture with Leslie Ewing. Uh, just one of, again, these people who have made ASPN what it is. And uh, big shout out to Leslie. We love you and uh, wish her well in 2021 out there in the Bay Area. In addition to our uh, our OG hosts, our originals, uh, we actually <laughs> started quite a few shows in 2020, believe it or not. It was a crazy year. You did. But uh, we, did. we had quite quite a few brand new shows. And I'll just start the first one, Peter, uh, with a, a total serendipitous uh, show called Big Tourism. And I'm so glad we got this show uh, on the network. It was, was We needed a show on coastal tourism and as Erica has in, informed us over her uh, show this year, destination management. So yeah. if you live in a, a coastal community, you are very familiar with how your community markets itself and competes for uh, tourism dollars uh, with other competitors, with other communities out yes. there. And Erica works for the Oregon Tourism association uh sp in particular she works for the coastal uh association right. erica sears who's the host of big tourism out there uh where is she she is in the on the southern oregon coast a true coastal resident grew up you know on the coast and uh, has traveled the world such a great show tyler as you mentioned tourism is one of the principal economic sectors in so much of the American shoreline. And having a professional who is engaged in that practice, who understands it and it can teach us about how tourism is promoted and managed and thought about. Uh, and Erica, you know, she's just another one of the, I just love all these. these. These are brilliant people. They're really, she's really fabulous and she's been such a great addition to the network. Indeed. And also in 2020, Peter, we had a great series called the Seafoodie uh, podcast uh, hosted by our good friend Robert Jones, who previously hosted the Catch Curve show. Kind of yeah. we adapted it there after he became a chef and uh, really took our listeners on uh, several interesting uh, discussions, learning about cell-based fish proteins and just new technologies that are out there new innovations in how to approach even catching seafood using yeah. all of the bycatch in uh in, in for food and nourishment i mean this was a really cool uh series that came out this summer and robert did a great job yeah robert jones dear friend uh such a, a smart guy uh, his show was dedicated to we can we said hello to Robert. He I think he did six or seven shows, which are available also on YouTube. By the way, uh, Robert Jones is so the Seafoodie podcast uh, about sustainable fisheries management and about the as he said used to say from the from the from the hook to the table kind of analysis of what happens in seafood and and how we're using and 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 exploiting and trying to get people to understand. Uh, new methods of sustainability. Fascinating show. Robert, I don't know if he'll be doing his show in 2021. He's in a transition to a very exciting thing that we will, we cannot talk about at this time. But uh, I'm hoping that Robert sticks with us a little bit in 2021. He's a great host. Indeed. And uh, also, uh, we mentioned Brian Urisitz earlier. Yeah. Uh, Brian had been on the network previously in 2019, but in 2020, Brian got his own show. Yeah. 
and the Shape by the Sea podcast, which is what it's called, uh, is a show about, as he calls it, like ocean-going folk <laughs> and how they are changed and influenced and uh, motivated by the relationship with the ocean. Yeah. And that's something I think we can all uh, relate with. It's it's a it's a show that goes in to a, to a degree in policy and management. Brian himself is a, an educator and a, an advocate in uh, New, New Hampshire. He works for the Seacoast Science Center. Yeah. Um, but just a great, truly a great voice. Brian has a radio voice um, and just does a great job with that show. I love Brian's show, Shaped by the Sea. But yeah, as a surfer, as a fisherman, as someone who was a NOAA uh, fisheries monitor, this guy has a lot of experience in a deep uh, well of, of, of passion and love for ocean and coastal issues and really does a great job with Shaped by the Sea. Another one of the great shows that started in 2020, Tyler. And another 2020 show I love and I'm so glad is going to be part of the network in 2021, Bill O'Byrne, formerly with NOAA for almost 30 years in the Office for Coastal Management, a true coastal professional insider at the federal level, uh, started Coastal Conundrum podcast with you, Tyler, this year, a really interesting show about coastal management and the trade-offs involved. Yeah, Bill, another great voice for us to have, has done a handful of shows this year. And uh, also, you know, we we rely on these, in addition to doing these shows, we rely on these people to help guide us and, and inform us as to what's going on. And Bill was great in helping us set up uh, another series in a relationship with the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association. Uh Bill actually got us in touch back before we were locked down, ladies and gentlemen, back in early 2020, way back in February. ASPN went to Charleston, South Carolina, and covered the Social Coast Forum, which is put on by the National Estuarine Research Reserve Association. And we did a bunch of shows. They're all available online. Go back in the archives and check them out. But but us going there and, and Bill making that happen turned into a new show in 2020 called the fresh and salty podcast yeah we got to thank that peter host yes i did the fresh and salty podcast what we developed with the national estuarine research reserve association over some months of planning and identifying that show they've asked us to host that show so i do that for them Uh, but the national estuarine research reserves are a tremendous asset to the country these federally uh, managed areas uh, there are 29 of them, I think, soon to be 30, I believe, with the addition of one uh, in Louisiana. But the Fresh and Salty podcast, what a lot of fun. Uh, we've had a great time working with the NERA group and the team to put that show together and look forward to more issues and episodes in 2021. We also did a series uh, this year in 2020, I should say last year. Uh, yeah, last called year. Surf Sale Seafood. And this was kind of a whimsical show. I got a call from Jenna Valente, uh, who, of course, hosted the Sea Change podcast. And she told me that she had gotten word that a group of hooligans, it seemed like, were going to be surfers and sailors. We're going to uh, sail up the main shoreline yeah. and basically do a tour of great surf spots and great restaurants. And I said, hmm. That sounds like a lot of fun. I'm pretty jealous. We're all locked in our houses 
uh, maybe we should do a little series. And we put together a, a really nice little three-part vacation, yeah. a sailing vacation yeah. for you. That was a good series. Jenna Valente and Tyler cooked this up, Surf, Sail, and Seafood. And it turned out to be, it is a travel show. These guys are on a boat. That I think it's 30-plus days, and they they sail through some pretty rough weather. They they meet people along the coast. They talk about sustainable seafoods and the natural resource issues in the northeast part of the American shoreline. It was, it was, a, it was a great series and a lot of fun. Tyler, I'm so glad oh, you pulled was, that together. It was great to live vicariously through... Uh, these guys, yeah. uh, I, I know I'm, I'm in a blank on their names. I'm not even going to try. I know Willis is one of them, but, uh, you know, drinking IPAs and surfing and discuss, going to little islands and finding little breaks and things. Uh, for those of us who were in lockdown and just trying to string together a good week, yeah. it was really nice to hear about this uh story if not making me feel a little jealous <laughs> of course <laughs> but uh it was I mean, you had a couple of good trips in 2020 i did, and I, some did. Good I travel have, shows but... i i have no complaints uh there <laughs> but uh at that time yeah uh you know and and in between travel uh where it could be where i was able to do it uh which was of course challenging this show really uh helped tide me over well, and, and it really did, and uh, perfectly timed, I think, during the summer when people were really starting to suffer a little bit from the uh, from the lockdown and a chance to get outside and listen to these guys on that trip was great. Uh, another big addition to the to the year, I thought Tyler was our uh, collaboration with Dr. Megan Wen Wen Wengrove from Oregon State University in the development of our first ASPN University series on living shorelines. It was a four-part release with Oregon State. Uh, what a blast. What a lot of work with Megan. And we're continuing to work with her, and she's part of now trying to develop our new channel, ASPN University, with Felicia uh, Olmeda schult That's right. Uh, great. It was, you know, this was Megan's idea to... Uh, put the microphone in front of some of her students. And uh, these are engineering students at the university, at, at Oregon State University, yeah. who are, um, the, the purpose really, I think the core of this was to improve the science communication component uh, for these kids and help them learn how to effectively communicate what it was that they were studying and, and researching. And we got four excellent shows, uh, again, in the archives. Go check them out. Uh, and it really was the germ of what is go what we hope to become another full time channel like ASPN that will focus, uh, really focus on this whole universe of of scientific discovery uh, in the coastal science and ocean science engineering yeah. world. Yeah, uh, it's it's a whole universe in there. We rely on science. We rely on the discoveries. And we rely on the ability for these researchers to be able to talk to us about it. Agreed. Yeah, and I think it's important that science communication and science literacy is so key. There's so many organizations dedicated now to trying to increase the basically the literacy of the American public on complicated issues um, generally in science, uh, but are certainly coastal. So ASPN University, we hope we can pull that together and have a new channel for you guys that's going to focus, as Tyler said, on coastal science and engineering. Um, look, I know we're getting going a little bit long, but hey, Working Waterfronts podcast with Ashley <laughs> Bennis. 
We did uh, a lot. We did. This is another new show. Ashley, what a what man is she? I love her. She's turned out to be such, such a great host. She was so uh, I think a little reluctant at the beginning to host the show, but has really found her stride with the Working Waterfronts podcast. She has, uh, you know, I should point out that this NERA show, the, the National uh, Estuarine Research Reserve Association show called uh, Fresh, Fresh and Salty, and the National Working Waterfront show, these are shows that uh, we are in contract to do with these organizations, and it, it's just, it's it's an honor, and it's just wonderful to be able to have that support and have that that relationship uh, with regard to the National Working Waterfront Association, uh, Nicole Fagan, who kind of worked with us on setting this up, kind of said, hey, you know, I'd like to have Ashley host this show. Uh, Ashley, like all of our hosts, like you and me, Peter, no podcast experience. Mm-hmm. Um, so Ashley has and, and like like all of us, we start off nervous and Ashley has just come into her own. Um, I'm recording a show with her tomorrow. Are you good? Uh, and uh, she's just uh, kicking butt. But this Working Waterfront podcast is so important. These are, this represents a different type of economic view yeah. of the of our shorelines or parts of our shorelines mm-hmm. than just the tourism function. Right. Um, and uh, a lot of these places are mysterious. They're hidden behind big, tall fences, or you need a, a keypad to go and access. Uh, and there's a whole, of course, a whole world of professionals that understand and manage these places. And Ashley shines a light on those communities and talks to them in in just amazing ways. Uh, so go back and check out the 2020 episodes. No. So just I'm really proud that we got uh, her voice in particular hosting that show and that that show is out there. It's it, we really needed to cover it. And we do. She's great. She's a Sea Grant uh Marine Extension agent in Corpus Christi, I think affiliated with the Texas A&M University Corpus Christi campus, uh, works on working waterfront issues. And, you know, another important economic sector uh, that we want our listeners to understand, uh, not everybody goes to the coast to drink beer and sit on the veranda and have dinner. Uh, These waterfronts are critical to the economy, especially local communities and fishing and aquaculture and other activities that are economic and uh, the displacement of those working waterfronts has been happening this transition happens around the american shoreline and has real implications and ashley does a great job in educating our listeners about about the transitions that are and stresses of facing working waterfronts around the country love that show and Tyler, the very latest addition to the great ASPN uh, network lineup is Taylor Gells and the Ocean Decade Show. Man, I am looking forward to this show. Kicked off on January 1st, 2021, so it's fresh out of the box. Taylor Gells. The first day of the UN Decade of the Ocean. That's right. I mean, the Decade of the Ocean is a big deal as an international effort by the United Nations and and countries around the world to focus attention on sustainable use uh, and protection of the marine environment and our oceans. Uh, There's a lot of energy going into the Ocean Decade. Uh, It is a very complicated international process. Taylor Gells will be your guide into the Ocean Decade show. It's going to be a monthly so we're really looking forward to hearing from Taylor all year about uh, what's going on inside the United Nations uh, Ocean Decade. 
And uh, what a cool show. I love the soundtrack. I have to say, I love what you and uh, Taylor came up with and the design of that show. It's really great. And uh, she's uh, the, the first episode is fabulous. Indeed. Well, all in all, ladies and gentlemen, 2020 was a big, big, big year for us here uh, on the American Shoreline Podcast Network and at Coastal News Today. We... Uh, did 173 episodes. 173 episodes, Tyler, that you edited and produced. I uh, mean, a tremendous amount of shows. 9,068 minutes of content were released on ASPN in 2020. Uh, they were listened to in 33 countries around the world. Our fastest growing listenership in 2020 was from New Zealand which was great. Uh, good on you down good, there. Good on you down there in uh, New Zealand. A 204% increase in the year in folks who follow the American Shoreline Podcast Network and a more than 125% increase in the number of listeners for the year. Tyler, what a fantastic job you did with the network and all of our hosts. I'm just really proud of what you guys did. Well, Peter, I appreciate it, but I got to say uh, the, the gratitude uh, goes to the hosts and to all of the guests who made appearances uh, each of those 173 episodes, more or less, you know, Jeez. has has a guest. You and I yap on some of these, but <laughs> most of the time we're talking to people who really know their stuff. And, yeah. and so a big uh, thank you to them. Um, I just want to quickly say, uh, Peter, that, you know, we have this website, coastalnewstoday.com, yep. that everyone should go to and subscribe to our Daily Blast newsletter where you'll get a daily blast of coastal news stories. Keep yep. yourself up to date. Uh, but this uh, this service uh, caters to 100,000 coastal professionals in 2020. Yeah, uh, that is that is just outstanding. We love uh, that we have 100,000 coastal professional users around the world. Yeah, uh, mostly here in the states, but around the world who use Coastal News Today as their uh, primary resource when it comes to knowing what's going on out in the coastal universe. Well, it's it's such a great resource, quick and just to keep up with trends around the American shoreline, Tyler, and as you like to say, de-siloed, we cover energy and tourism and ports and waterways and property and insurance and federal and da-da-da-da, this whole spectrum of the discussion. A hundred thousand coastal professionals read that every day. We had more than 250,000 page views on the site, um, really a tremendous year of readership on the site. And I just want to thank all the readers out there. Uh, you know, if you're not a subscriber to Coastal News today, it doesn't cost any money. Get on the site, hit the subscribe button, and put it in. You'll get the Daily Blast uh, update and access to the site. It's super good. Uh, it goes with ASPN and Coastal News today. As we like to say, insight and intelligence for thriving shorelines. That's what we're trying to do with, these, uh, with this media property that we're developing. And we're just really proud of it. Uh, and all the people who helped uh, make it happen this year. So I want to make a quick shout out to Chloe Powers, who managed the website for most of the year and did a tremendous job uh, with that effort. And uh, Paolo uh, no, Luca Vinagoni, who's been our marketing and branding uh, expert, who's been with us this year, really happy to have him on board, hope to work with him in 2021. And F Dr. Felicia Olmeta-Sheltz, who's... Uh, leading the ASPN University development process. So great team, Tyler. Great year 2020. I just really enjoyed it. Yeah. So I, I think, Peter, that about concludes it. It was a good show. <laughs> uh, 
We went through it all, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but the most important thing, I think, is for us to wish you a happy new year. Uh, we are excited about 2021. We really do have we have some high hopes here uh, to take the next step, grow the network, grow Coastal News Today. Please share this and any other American Shoreline podcast network with your friends and colleagues. Uh, that's a huge help for us. Subscribe, rate, and review these shows. Uh, and feel free to send us feedback. Uh, you can always shoot us an email. You can go to the, the contact page on our website or, of course, Peter at CoastalNewsToday.com or Tyler at CoastalNewsToday.com would get you directly in touch with the humble host of this show. That's right. And uh, last thing, uh, it, it takes a lot of work and a lot of time and energy to put this on. Uh, there is no paywall on Coastal News Today or ASPN. Uh, sponsorships are how we survive. If your company, AECOM and uh, Chicago, all of the all of the companies out there that work on the coast, uh, consider being sponsors of this network. We really can use it to help, and you'll benefit tremendously. You'll reach all of these listeners and readers that we have amassed over the last couple of years. Uh, so we'd love to have you as sponsors and reach out to us at Coast News Today and ASPN, and we'd love to have you on board. So.